Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Boo bloody yeah. Welcome to Invest Stories Podcast. Hi, Kyle. Hey, John. What's up, buddy? What's going on? Oh, you know, just... Just doing it. Yeah? Doing what? Investing. Investing. Like a boss. Podcasting. 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 Yeah, hey. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to every single person listening right now and all the ones that aren't listening right now but have listened before. We had a massive spike in our in numbers and people really love the new format and thank you. Um, we really, really are grateful for for your listens and for your interactions and and thanks we're gonna we're gonna keep plugging away at this and, and take it to kind of where it deserves um hopefully we're adding value in um in that regard if you could do us a favor if you really feel generous um do write us a review and give us a five stars on um whatever podcasting platform you're you're listening to that really helps us helps kind of boost us in the rankings and stuff like that also we have investories youtube channel and our um the links in the investories show notes and on the Instagram page. If you could go in there, give us a watch, give us a, a nice five star review or, you know, whatever like subscribe. Is that what people say, Kyle? I think so. Yeah, yeah there we go. Like and good. subscribe. That would be awesome too. And if not, no worries. We appreciate you anyway. Kyle, what have you been up to this week? Not much, man. It's been no? low key. Yeah. I've been just plugging away, going to the gym We've got uh, wife and I are trying to get our house built, so we should get engineering plans back this week and uh, working on the shop. Just a whole bunch of that, uh, you know, that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. yeah how I've about you? Been... Did you go to Disneyland again? Uh, no, I didn't this week actually. Oh no, man. I didn't. Actually, did or did I? No, maybe I did. I can't remember. <laughs> it just blurs into one. <laughs> My Ooh. knee is nearly better, which is good. That's good, man. Yeah, I was able that's to run three for and a half miles, so that was good. I didn't. That's a long way. Keel over. It's it's, yeah. it's okay. It's not terrible. Yeah, it it's it's a terrible. it's a ways off thirteen miles though, which is yes. a little. Oh, you're a half marathon runner. Like, what do you do that like, on a weekly basis? What what's your? No, I've got schedule? a I've got an event in March. End of okay, March, so Excellent. I need to get running basically. Um, is it a half or is it a full or what? Are it's you a half. Yeah, I'm not doing another full. It's way too much effort. Yeah, man, those things are rough. I watched my wife do that, and I was. Happy to cheer her on from the sidelines. That's as close as it's I was It's the best to that. pint of Guinness I've ever had after a full yeah. run. Yeah. We have this one called the Viking run out here where oh, yikes. when you finish, they actually give you however much beer will fit in a Viking helmet. It's a plastic Viking helmet, but however much beer will fit in it, and you get to just slam that after you're done with it. I thought your you were going to say they put you on a boat, set fire to it, and push you uh, out into no. the sea. No, okay, that's something different. <laughs> that's very different, yeah. So today we have TJ on, TJ Nguyen. Said his name right. TJ is awesome, and um, he's he's gone on a real journey from being a teacher to being a full-time real estate investor. And there's tons of creativity in that journey um, around arbitrage and tiny homes and short term and mid term. So all our, our tick boxes. So if you're playing Investories podcast bingo, you're going to be in, in for a treat on this one. And there's, there's a weird phrase. And I can't remember what that phrase came up. For the, wasn't it <laughs> penis paraphernalia? Yeah. Yeah. We got the word penis on the on the show for the very first time. But uh, yeah, it's he, he's such a great guy and he's so willing to, to chat about 
It's the mindset around why he's doing what he did. He's, he's a, a recent recovering former W-2 employee, just like my, you know, myself as of a little over a year ago. So he talks a bit about that and, and what it's like to jump into the world of being self-employed and, and the struggles that they've gone through there. So it, it's got some great content and his game being short-term rental and mid-term rentals, he talked a lot about the platform and, and how to attract guests. There's just a lot of really great value in this for anybody that wants to be in that space. Awesome, and uh, here's TJ. Welcome to Investories, TJ Nguyen. Did I get your name right, TJ? Nailed it. Nailed it. Now, fun fact about that surname, right? Correct. Uh, yeah, so 40% of Vietnamese people have this uh, last name Nguyen. By comparison, uh, Smith in America is about 9 to 11%. Uh, give or take. Um, so we think Smith is really common, but Vietnam, uh, win in Vietnam is way more common. Yeah, I was telling many... TJ before we even got on here that I, I, and John chimed in on this, that we know so many people with this last name and I've just never thought to ask specifically. We, we learned some cool stuff about your name right there. It only took like 10 seconds. Kyle, we are terrible. We are terrible. I know. I'm a foreigner. I don't know what your excuse is. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't have an excuse. I'm just terrible. Yeah, TJ, yeah. thank you for hopping on, and um, we're really happy to have you here. Um, and we really want to explore your your career of of kind of well, two careers, right? Teaching and now real estate investing. So, I think as of today, you're uh, officially a uh, professional real estate investor, uh, full time, right? Correct. Uh, I quit my, or instead of quit, I like to say I retired from the classroom before Thanksgiving. I made sure my school had a teacher to replace me. I didn't leave them out high and dry, uh, but I was ready to focus my energy elsewhere. Uh, I had been investing part-time um, while I was still teaching uh, since 2019, 2020 um, with short-term rentals. And I needed to quit my job to be able to take the leap of faith and uh, give myself a chance to be super successful. So I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad with the teacher and the business owner comparison. Is this kind of the hybrid of the two? And how did your how did your kind of mind uh, set mindset get to that point where you're you're kind of teaching, but looking for that um, investing piece as well? What was the flow of that? So a it was actually Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> My sister gave me that book or told me to read it uh, in 2016, right before I got my first uh, adult job. Um, and then I read it, my whole mindset shifted and I was looking for properties and I have always been a really intelligent person, but I've always been terrible with money. And so reading that book made me realize it wasn't my logistical skills or my math ability. It was just, I didn't have the right mindset towards money and assets. And so I guess was we hear a lot of people that talk about Rich Dad, Poor Dad on here, and, and mine and John's stories are quite similar. But why, why real estate? Because Rich Dad, Poor Dad's not a real estate book. That's, that's a business book, right? Mm -hmm. So what was, the, what was the draw towards real estate in the first place? What did you see with that? Personally, I really like to travel. Um, I've been to five continents. I uh, did my student teaching in Australia. Um, I went to Ecuador to visit another friend of mine who went to teaching uh, while she was there for a little while. Um, but I always saw real estate as a, a passive way to be able to travel and do what I enjoy doing. Um, and then the more I've gotten into real estate, the more I've realized the ability to help other people with 
real estate and to uh, get the same fulfillment I've been getting out of education uh, in the real estate world. I, I like that word passive. However, since you've been in real estate, has it confirmed that real estate is passive for your lifestyle or have you maybe learned something a little bit different since you're, now you're there full time? It definitely is not passive, <laughs> uh, especially right? short-term rentals. Um, I my, my wife has been really incredible in supporting us there. She's been hosting and being our property manager full-time um, since we started. <laughs> And she holds the whole household together and we have four kids. Uh, so I don't know how she does that. Uh, and her support is the whole reason I was able to quit my job in the first place. Uh, but now since we got started in short-term rentals, we're a little spoiled on short-term rental revenue. Uh, so we want to keep that aspect, but we want to remove, uh, get our time back and be able to help people more. So at the end of the day, short-term rentals aren't really com uh, contributing that much to your community. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you're, one of your one of the interesting things when we talked about was that community focus and i i feel like sometimes i feel a bit guilty owning a short-term rental and you're kind of not contributing to the community other than revenue or other than kind of footprints into shops and restaurants and stuff what does that look like in terms of i, I think you had a project with with the school and and those kind of things what what was that kind of approach or what what did that look like going into those projects is it just for fulfillment or um, well, we try to, we, uh, anyway, personally, I approach everything as an engineering problem and what your design constraints are. So I set my design constraint as this, how much, this is how much money I want to make. Uh, this is how much, uh, you know, this is how much impact I want to make. Um, getting into real estate, short-term rentals was really cash flow heavy and it was just easy, uh, barrier of entry. So we got into it. We realized how um hands-on it actually is it's not hands-off at all like kyle was saying um so i'm sorry where where were we what was the question well it's really pivoting to from that and and I, yeah i feel those pains i think we're at the right distance where it's not too much hands-on um mm -hmm. it's kind of a phone call rather than anything too crazy but what i like is that community aspect that that mindset oh, okay. of, of right yeah no you're all good I remember where I was going. Uh, so we do our we we do approach our short term uh, rentals and our mid term rentals from a service aspect. Like we think about families when they're traveling or professionals who are our targets, and we think of the amenities people uh, don't usually think of for families. And we really provide our value uh, with that service mentality. And then, uh, like you were saying, we feel a little bit bad having the short term rentals and keeping people out of affordable housing. Um, so the tiny home was one option to uh, be able to avoid that so i don't feel bad about having a tiny home and not keeping keeping a family out of there um and then just it just moved on to we want we want to do more and make people feel like they belong so that kind of how is how we got to the tiny home development um village so we got to 15 by buying some uh buying my my first single home family uh, single home property ugh, single family home property and then we bought another one on the same street and then we ran out of capital, and then so we started to arbitrage, um, which the cash flow, cash flow is still good, but we're not getting any uh, equity, we're not getting any depreciation, we're not getting any appreciation, but we've developed some really good relationships. So out of the, we work with four landlords, every landlord has given us an additional unit since we've originally arbitraged with them, at least one. One of them gave us five additional units, another one gave us three additional units. Uh, the tiny home builder was one of those. He built his tiny homes um, and he was short-term renting them. 
but hated that part. He just wanted to focus on building tiny homes. And so that's where we were able to step in and uh, help expand that footprint. And then through that relationship, we decided we like working with each other. And um, we really wanted to create this development of tiny homes um, that's built to rent for active living seniors. And really just thinking about our own parents um, and what, they, what they're going to do with their time. And maybe you can give everybody who's listening just a quick rundown on what arbitrage is. Because this is... This is a really interesting way of doing business. Like you said, it, it doesn't do a lot for building your wealth, but it can make a hell of a difference in your cash flow. So um, tell us what that means. Cool. So uh, traditionally, you buy houses 3.5% down if you're living in it or 10% down if it's a second home or 20% down if it's an investment. Uh, we did that twice and we ran out of money. And so to get another unit, we then started approaching people with homes for lease um, in parts of town that we thought would be good rentals. Uh and that was part of our uh, our overall journey because we were still feeling imposter syndrome, like we weren't real estate investors yet. Uh, so it was weird telling people we were real estate investors. But as literally the first person we told we were in real estate and this is what we did, they were like, oh, I have units for sale. Uh, I, have, I have units to rent. And this was just like a random meeting at a taco place. He, he was like, what do you guys do? We do real estate. Oh, uh, I have 50 doors. Oh, do you have any for lease? He said, yeah, well, we turn them into short-term rentals. Um, can we be your long-term tenant and we'll make money on the difference? And he, he was like, I love that. And then we sold him on some of the benefits, um, that of, of doing, of working with us. But mainly he just really liked, uh, my wife. She's really nice and bubbly and really disarming. She's also a former teacher. And so just to kind of, I guess, wrap things up for, for the listeners, just in case somebody hasn't heard of arbitrage before, and please correct me if I'm wrong, cause I don't do this, this business model, but you find somebody who has a place for lease you sign a lease with them, and then it's kind of like a sublet, right? You're, you're essentially, you're furnishing this place. You're taking on all of the utilities, putting them in your, your name or your business's name. And then you start, you know, that space is yours by contract on a lease. And then you find people looking for short-term or mid-term rentals at a much higher price than what your lease is. And you get to keep the difference, correct? Correct. Uh, so we're affected by seasonality. And that's one way uh, we partner with landlords um and that's arbitrage uh but there's some other creative uh partnerships you can um work on um so another one is co-hosting where they help furnish it as part of the cost um and the expenses are taken out and then we take a percentage off the top so uh, the way i view arbitrage is we're the long-term tenant um, it's a regular long-term one-year contract or a multiple-year contract, and we just strike out all the language that doesn't allow subletting, and then we put in some specific clauses about our ability to sublet. Gotcha. And just out of sheer curiosity, this is kind of a generic question, but why short-term rentals? Why, was, that, was that your goal all the way from the beginning? And what was the purpose of that versus, say, long-term rentals? Um, I, I, was it just your business plan that sent you into the short-term space? Um, it was my business plan, um, really. Uh, I've always been a tech guy, and when I bought my house, I was familiar with Airbnb, and I was kind of like on the Airbnb train when it first came in. And um, it was not the Airbnb it's evolved into now, where it's way more professional and way less couches in somebody's living room. Um, but I, I just like the idea of doing ourselves and democratizing who gets to run the short-term rentals, um, not even thinking about the long-term things of investing. I was like, Oh, this would be cool that I didn't think very much further than that. Um, when I, when I first started, but, uh, backing into it, we then realized, Oh man, this is really good cash flow. 
Uh, and then we were enjoying that a while, really sinking our teeth into the business and figuring out how things work. And then we've gotten to the point where we're good at that. And we're now realizing, man, it's taking a lot of our time to do this. Um, and we're scaling and it's difficult to scale. And so uh, we're just busy cutting costs by creating systems and buying our time back um, in other ways by through automation or um, hiring things out. So in, in terms of learning that, that piece, learning short-term rental, that first step, what did that look like? Did you take courses or just read or jump feet first in? Uh, I was a jump, jump feet first in kind of person, and that did not turn out well. Uh, I did it on my – so the timeline of this coincides with be, before I was married to my wife. And so we were just dating at the time, and she was very hands-off about me listing my Airbnb – um, even though she saw lots of things with the, uh, wrong with the way I was listing it or the condition my property is when I listed it. Um, and I let it, and I listed it and had first a guest come and I thought it was clean by my standards, but this guest did not believe it was clean. She was like, I can't believe this is what your place looks like. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a new host. Um, what can I do to make it better? We'll refund your money. Can you give us like feedback? And then she, she gave us like two pages worth of things that were wrong with the Airbnb. <laughs> And I was like, oh, maybe this is a little harder than I thought. Um, and then that's where my wife, when we were dating, she's like, may I suggest a few things? And she was like, your walls are blank. You, you don't have any of this. You don't have any of that. Um, and all these things I just completely overlooked uh, just because I was focused on this was cool. This is an Airbnb. <laughs> I'm guessing she knows you enough to know that you need to learn the lesson first before. She does. She does. Okay. She, yeah. Very Same. <laughs> Now you, so you're kind of a baptism by fire type of a guy that it sounds like. So this is a kind of figure it out as you go. Is that, is that the way that you begun, you, you began with this whole journey? That is the way I began with Airbnb and learned quickly that, uh, investing in your real estate education is a worthwhile venture. And I'm still learning that to this day. Um, so we started, uh, following people on, um, YouTube, uh, guy we really like is, uh, really like is. He used to, it used to be Airbnb automated, but his name's Sean Radkovich, I believe. Um, and he's, uh, he talks all about, he's an arbitrage guru and he's got a multi-million dollar business out of Houston and he's, uh, he, he coaches people through it and gives a lot of great free content out there. But, um, that following him really set our, set off our, uh, occupancy rates and, uh, the daily rate we were getting and just the overall professionalism of our business. Gotcha. And, and what, what kind of, I guess, this is not a space I'm in. I know you and John both are in this space, but it, I, this is just genuine curiosity because I'm a long-term rental guy. So one, I follow a lot of these different Facebook groups and Instagram you know, gurus on, that do this type of stuff. And it's, it's interesting, especially when you get into the groups, they start talking about everything that goes wrong. You don't really hear too much about the wins. I don't know if people are a little bit self-conscious about bragging about wins or what it is. I like reading about wins. I learn a lot of things from when people do things successfully and when they do things wrong. But I hear a lot of people talking or just complaining essentially about things like I've got a difficult tenant. You know, they came in and they saw that, you know, there was a, a hair on the bathroom counter and now they want a full refund. Are these realistic things that somebody that hasn't gotten into sh to short-term rentals, is that common? Do you get a lot of people who give you that sort of trouble really we don't um it's very occasional um but for those for those people who do complain and what you do here it's it's so much easier to be negative than it is to be positive 
Um, and so many people are addicted to just feeling negative all the time. So they don't even need other people to be negative for them. They're just going to pre say all the negative things that's going on in their own lives, uh, and dump it. And, you know, it's, it's really about framing. And so as a teacher of, um, high trauma population, it was 99% free and reduced lunch, um, gang violence, uh, at, at homes. Um, we learned that the issue is usually not the issue. <laughs> um, so we just, we look for what's beyond that. Um, again, approaching it from a service aspect, it's like, we don't want the person to be that like that and things are going to go wrong. So if things are wrong, how do you approach it? And how can you predict what they're going to need? So if you're, if they feel like you're looking out for their needs, you can really do anything wrong as long as you say, oh, that, I, this is where I was coming from and this is what I was trying to do for you. And then you're really uh, above and beyond about going to fix it. I really like the the, the framing piece of it. Um, one thing I found with our Airbnb is, um, this is totally by accident, we're in a, a ski town and people there are traditionally there to do stuff. They don't really hang around our place. It's a condo also, so it's not particularly like bring your family and hang out. Um, and that's been really good because we've had less kind of what I'd say foot traffic through. Uh, the other thing is like positioning your place for, for a better quality of guest, right? So people that go to stay at your place are going to be happy with what they get because it's as described, but also they're not going <laughs> to tear it apart or knock things over or that kind of stuff. So that's been super interesting to, to kind of learn that. And I guess that's, is there any, I think to Kyle's point, is there any kind of real horror stories or is it, has it been any, any sleepless nights or? So we've had so many more instances of our guests breaking things and then feeling so bad about it and like going above and beyond to replace them than we have had the <laughs> yeah. other way. So like, uh, I can think of like one instance where we had a party and it was a bachelorette party and it wasn't even bad. It's just like on the doorbell camera, you could hear the music and our neighbors didn't say anything or whatever. Uh, and then there were like bachelorette party penis having, um, paraphernalia all over the place but that, that, that was it <laughs> hey we got a new word john we had penis on the show for penis the very first time yeah penis <laughs> they haven't had that tip. one yet <laughs> yeah but that's really uh really the only horror story um we we get people with difficult attitudes or different difficult expectations um i can say this because i'm an asian male but asian females are really hard on airbnbs almost universally uh, it doesn't matter how nice your Airbnb is, uh, it's, it's going to get a four star or less, uh, if it's an Asian <laughs> female doing the judging. Um, but we laugh about all these ratings that are like great location, very clean, uh, such good value. And then they'll give a four overall. They, people just don't understand, uh, the rating system. <laughs> that yeah. That's one has. of the things we had to figure out, which is a five star. It is actually, everything was as, as I thought it would be. They need a six star, which is this place is amazing <laughs> that's a good idea really almost yeah. like a bonus like a bonus star, okay well you know? so if you go if you slip to like a four star average which you'd think would be pretty high or four and a half you get you know you, you get, get down down listed yeah it's like 4.3 you can be mm. at risk of being delisted mm -hmm. wow that's yeah so why even fair. have the other stars why not just a one star or nothing or, right yeah <laughs> exactly. one or five yeah exactly yeah that's bizarre yeah. and then everyone would put one um so that's really interesting um in, t in terms of um that kind of movement um from well the short-term rental stuff and then the 
uh, investing in tiny homes. I'd, I'd love to get your take on then how you finance those those things. So we've we've gone through arbitrage and and um, you know set set that up and it's going really well. Moving on to the tiny homes, was that an arbitrage deal as well, uh, or was uh, that self financing? They were both arbitrage deals, and they've turned into partnerships with the uh, tiny home builder. So we're still under a rental contract, but right now he's like, if it's not working, it's not working. We'll change it. I can move it. Um, he's just so happy the way we've uh, redecorated. So we already had it running as an Airbnb. We went after him and added all these things that he didn't think about, um, which is part of it. You, sometimes you don't realize what people need until a hundred people have asked for the same thing. Um, or, and then, you know, his, his, his business was not hospitality, which is what Airbnb is. If you're not a mm -hmm. hospitable person, don't feel like you're going to be successful in a hospitality business. Um, and that's where these people who are complaining all the time, I bet these people who are complaining all the time complain about everything in all aspects of their life. Let in addition to the Airbnb guests that they're complaining about. Um, in, so I'm really fascinated by the tiny home um, especially the community aspect. I think, yeah, we invest in Big Bear and I think a, a Big Bear tiny home community would be really cool. And especially for, uh, for short-term rentals. What makes a good tiny home? Uh, what, what's kind of, what's a good, uh, good listing for a tiny home? What makes a good short-term rental? Uh, for a tiny home, it, it needs to be cozy and, um, it's a, it's a fine balance between feeling claustrophobic and then having space to do things. Um, and so part of that is just putting just the right amount of stuff in it. And then part of it is like, what do you have for dual usage? Um, and then who you market to. So ours aren't super fancy. Uh, they're not in a super fancy area. So our daily rate is lower, but just the novelty alone, we get a, a ton of people coming through. And then as far as community goes, um, our idea for the tiny home community development really came from are my mother-in-law who has an RV uh, lot at the lake and she bought it for $100,000 and it's got a clubhouse and a pool and everybody there is kind of in her age demographic and not and retired and not working and they kind of create their own community there and so she skipped Thanksgiving with us like her actual family to be with these people and we're like huh that's weird let's think about that and it's because she feels like she belongs there. Those are her family day to day. And she wanted to celebrate a holiday with them. Um, and we're we're happy. We missed her. But we're happy that she feels like she belongs. And um, loneliness in general is the most deadly thing uh, that people face. Like it's the, the numbers for loneliness. It causes more deaths than alcoholism, like suicide, heart attack, car crashes, whatever. Loneliness is uh, a direct killer of people. And so as former teachers... We see our kids, you know, at school, but we think about them at home. We think about them when they're growing up. We think about what they're going to do as adults. We think about what they're going to do uh, when when they're retired. And people need community no matter what age of life you're in. And so many people, you know, deprive themselves of that. And so you, I maybe I missed just a little bit of, of the community piece of this and, and what your, your business plan is. It sounds like you've got a, a tiny home community that you are arbitraging and essentially partners, partnering with somebody now, right? Uh, so we have two arbitrage units that we are airbnb and that uh, partnership with the tiny home builder has led us to now we're pursuing a tiny home development. And so what John was saying earlier is my wife is a board member of this uh, private Montessori-like school here in Alabama. Um, 
the school is on a tract of land that the family owns who runs the school and um because my wife is on the board she, she knows what their uh pain points are but one of their pain points is bringing in revenue for the school another pain point is attracting good teachers because it's not in the center of the city or you know it's a little out there it's, it's like 30 minutes outside the main part of the city so it's um inconvenient to live in and so it's difficult to pay teachers more and so there we're looking for ways to uh increase amenities uh or you know desirability of the school for teachers so we thought about tiny homes on campus uh residential um residentially for the teachers and then having some of those be airbnbs for guests to uh, generate income for the school and then having some of those be an act um for seniors who are living uh because this is our test bed. We do then want to go build a whole development of just build to rent, active living, tiny homes. Um, I love that business plan. I think that's a that's a wonderful idea. And we talk about creative stuff all the time. That that's very creative, especially you know you guys not being the owners of the lot, but seeing the potential for what that lot could provide for the owners, provide especially the school, which is a huge why. You know, mm -hmm. and you guys with your backgrounds as teachers, I I absolutely I love that idea. I think that's great. And in this community on school grounds, are you going to be able to do other types of amenities or just going to be exclusively just Airbnb short-term rentals? I think we're going to start with um, just the, the tiny homes uh, and uh, not any amenities. But when we go out to build our whole community, which we've actually got a lot of uh, feedback from and a lot of interest uh, from capital partners all over the country, as soon as I t tell them this idea, uh, they, they're like, we would love to do that here. Um, but we... Ideally, we would like a clubhouse uh, where they could congregate and do things together because of their tiny home. They can't congregate in each other's house, but, you know, create a central place for them to meet, a third place, um, a, you know, raised gardens um, to provide for uh, people something to do, pickleball courts, uh, a pool, um, and maybe two or three tiny homes that are in the development uh, for senior living for visiting family. Um so people can come visit visit their grandparents and then have a place to stay for themselves. I like it. it sounds, I kind of want to live there. It sounds good. <laughs> and we're really big about uh, mixed generation um, uh, communities. Uh, you know, being Asian, that's a, a common thing with us. And then uh, Americans are like, after a certain age, I'm never going to see my parents again. Or I see my parents twice a year. Or, <laughs> or I see my parents once a year, and then the rest of the time you're in a, you're in a home. So, I'd, I'd love to see that change because I, I'm close with my parents and yet my dad lives 45 minutes away and my mom lives halfway across the country and it's like I would just and you're absolutely right you know I, I wish that that family unit would continue to stay closer but it's almost like when the information age began all of a sudden everybody wants to go everywhere you know and I'm a traveler I like to travel too but it's like I, I want my home base to have everything that makes me feel comfortable and happy right next to me and but I don't get that because everybody's gone, and I think a lot of us face the exact same thing. So creating a community like that, I, I think that's a great idea. We have another community play um, we're working on that's completely different than that, uh, if you're interested in it. Um, so we mentor this 27-year-old HVAC uh, technician. Um, he's the best service guy on their team. Um, he had not bought a house before he met us, and we met him just because he was at our house servicing our uh, home. Um, but he really liked our vibe. That was what he said. And he was talking about real estate investing. He was really interested in it, but his finances were not in order. Um, his taxes were a mess and he didn't know how to get started. Uh, so that day he met my wife, he sent her, him 
his social security number and all his tax information, which I do not recommend as a general rule, but my wife did his taxes for him, his back taxes and got him caught up. Uh, we were able to help them qualify for a FHA home, um, in their, uh, hometown, which is like 65 minutes from Birmingham, uh, the main city. And that's where he works. Uh, so we were able to put him in his first house. This, this 27 year old adopted his, uh, 17 year old sister. So he takes care of his whole family. He's been working since he was 15, um, as an industrial electrician, which I didn't know you could be an industrial electrician at 15, but apparently there's no age limit on some of these, uh, apprenticeships. <laughs> um, anyways, I found this 117 duplex in Birmingham, uh, 10 minutes from his work for $375,000. Uh, and I told him this is the house you need to move into put an offer right now. And he's like, well, we have like $15,000 saved up. Do you think that would be enough? And I like quick, quick math, like three and a half percent down on three fifty or whatever. And it was like almost exactly $50,000. And I was like, there's your sign that this is what you need to do. Um, so he's moving, he moved his whole family up. He bought it. They're living in. So I said it was 11 bedroom duplex. One side is a seven, four and the other side is a four, three. So they're living in the four, three side, the seven bedroom side, we're going to rent by the room in a co-living model, um, all expenses included. It's going to be uh, somewhere between $800 and $1,000 a month. Um, and we're going to market or aim to fill it with blue-collar people. Blue, we, I've been calling it a blue-collar boarding house or a, a trade house. Um, but electricians, construction guys, plumbers, uh, HVAC guys, roofers, who, whoever, uh, people who work with their hands, uh, we want that's who we want in our um, uh, building and then when they're there our goal is to get them out of there <laughs> so they're there saving money for a down payment when they're there we make sure that they have a bank account set up uh, to keep their cash in so many blue-collar people just keep their cash under the mattress uh, and it's not seasoned and then when they're ready to buy a house they're like where this cash come from and it's been I've been working it's been under my mattress and so then you have to write a special note to the underwriter about this is where he keeps his money. Uh, but we're just going to help him with some stuff like that. We're going to report to credit agencies and develop credit for these people who are, who are raised as cash is king. You don't need credit. Da, da, da. But then they go buy a house and they don't exist according to um, any financial system. Then it's difficult for them. Um, and we just want to attract people with a mindset of growth and who want something better. And then we want to provide so much value while they're in our house that when they leave, and take down their own deal or take down their own house they find somebody else who's like hey you would benefit from being here um and then they take their place in the house and then you know eventually we'll have a whole network of people who are grateful to this house and the system and then we can take down you know any house that needs work because we'll have all the systems within our network that's awesome i love that and as i, I moved here with zero credit not much cash to be honest and went through that process so i i really like that i think that's such a good mission to uh to kind of drive forward with um in terms of the the projects we've talked through a lot of them are, are, are quite unique in their in their kind of makeup what does the financing look like for for these projects is it kind of relying on capital partners is it um traditional non-traditional so out of the ones we own um Two were traditional um, FHA loans, uh, primary residence. One was a secondary home that we purchased with my wife's ex-husband. So we have a, a really solid working relationship all together. Um, he bought a second home in Auburn um, 
which is the second one we had on the street. So he did 10% down there. And then we bought the, uh, our, the other Airbnb we own with hard money. Um, we uh, bought it and then refinanced it uh, after we put an HVAC in. And then this deal I just got under contract um, for $110,000 under asking. It was ARV is three seventy five. She sold it to me for two seventy, and then um, I had a guy I went to high school with and middle school with, and we played basketball together in middle school. He has over fifty doors. He's a bit of a successful investor, and he's actually going to be my hard money lender there. He's a fix and flipper, so he walked through the property with me, made sure there was enough meat on the bone, um, in case not even in case he made money, just really in case something went wrong, um, but. Uh, we're, we'll be, he'll be out of that deal in less than six months. Uh, he'll have made a 30% cash on cash return for lending us this money. And then he'll be leaving us with the asset with, uh, 60K in equity in it. Excellent. That sounds like a win for everybody. Yeah. So, and uh, one thing is our, my last name is Win, So one of our companies is going to be a win-win situation or something oh, along those lines. Very catchy. I like that. That's good. I like that. The, um, that's a great segue, in fact, because one of the things we like to talk to people about is wins and losses. And because, you know, everybody knows there's never any losses in real estate, right? Every, you know, the, the market always goes up and never, n- nothing ever goes wrong. But uh, the truth of the matter is something usually goes wrong at least once. And that's really, I think that's a necessary way to learn your stripes anyways. It kind of shows you what you're made of. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the, the real hardships that you've faced. Even just give an example of a hardship you faced and if you have one that you haven't already talked about, that would be a major win for you. If you wouldn't mind sharing one of those. Um, this December was a hardship. So December in general is really difficult on seasonality and Airbnb. Uh, people really like to travel for uh, Thanksgiving. And then a lot of people don't travel for Christmas. At least that's what our data, our booking data told us. Um, so we got into this uh, Airbnb algorithm glitch where if you're not getting bookings, then you're not showing on the search. And if you're not showing in the search, you're getting less bookings. And so it actually can spiral all the way down to zero. And some people have zero bookings because of that, because they got spiraled down, not because people weren't looking. Um, and that just coincided with the same time I quit my job. Um, so just cash flow wise, it was a difficult time. I still think it was the right decision, maybe not the best timing, but it's what I needed to do to get out of there. And it's been a struggle uh, cash flow wise since then. Um, and last week is I joined this new mentorship pace, uh, Morby's subject to group, and I've gotten so much value out of that. So I just can't say enough about investing in your education, investing in your network and the, and people who are like-minded. Um, I know one thing that happened to me was I was so excited about real estate and the things I knew that I was, I, I didn't look, I didn't, I, I wasn't as open to hearing what other people had to say, but really it's all about taking everything you can learn from everybody else and then then using the empty space to provide what value you know that hasn't already been said. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Couldn't get the mute button off. John can edit that out. He loves editing. Yeah, so. my mute button wouldn't come off. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't just me. That's awesome. I love added I love the added value piece. That's amazing. Um and I think that's kind of something I've, I've learned over the last year and a half kind of on my journey, which is how can you add value? How can you connect with people and kind of then build on what they know, but not cynically, not just say, oh, what do you know? Give me 
all your information and then let's roll. And I think uh, Kyle will probably <laughs> is a testament to this, the team sport nature of, of real estate, that everyone's trying to win-win. There you go, on brand. Uh, so that that's super cool. Anyway, Kyle, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you didn't. And the only other piece that I, that I would ask about would be, you know, if you had that one win that you could tell us about that I'm talking cash flow wise, just business wise, or maybe an arbitration that you ended up putting together that there was really no cost at it, or, or maybe you got the cost back quickly for, because I know it costs a lot of money to, to be able to furnish these things. That sort of thing could be your biggest expense, especially right up front, or maybe even a big risk that you took that, that paid off in the end. Um, sure. I'll tell you about like a, a deal we have. It was the one we bought with hard money. It's in Irondale, Alabama. It, we bought it for 99 K it's a two, one, like 900 square feet. It's nothing. Um, it has two lots on either side. Uh, so it's private. Um, but that's really all it has going for us. It's close to the highway. It's not in a really super nice part of town, but it's like a cash cow for us. Um, we, we paid, I put 10, I guess we put 10% down, uh, for the hard money and then, uh, refied out of that, uh, a little bit later. Um, but that one pays the bills for everything. Um, the monthly payment is like $700 a month and some months we'll get $3,000, uh, in a median term booking, um, from somebody who's house flooded and they need a place to stay for one to three months while their house is being, uh, mitigated. And, um, just because it's 95% occupied, and, you know, it's not our best unit. It's not our nicest unit. It's not our biggest unit. It's not the best location, but it, it, it provides so much value to these people uh, who need it. Um, so I, what, I, what, what I'll say on that is people, what I, when they're getting into real estate, they're always looking for like a home run deal or they're looking for things that look nice or whatever, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you can be so creative with your exit strategy. Um, most people only know long-term rental, short-term rentals, and really that's it <laughs> those are like their two ends of the spectrum and there's a million things you can do in between in between um those things and it really depends on do you whether or not you value your time or your sweat equity or whatever but you can design for whatever thing matters to you and then create a lifestyle using real estate that fits that so i'm going to ask you if you had to pick a strategy today would you pick short-term rental or medium-term rental um i'll pick medium-term rental all day long so we can get pretty close to uh what we're getting short-term rental with one-tenth one-twentieth the effort sometimes we forget about those units because they're on autopilot and they have people in them uh and we're not reminded that we have those units until our cleaners are like is it time to clean those units yet and we're like oh let me check in with those people they haven't said anything now, uh, one thing I'm interested in, we've had a, we had Jesse on, um, Jesse Vasquez, about um, short-term, uh, mid-term rentals, and we've had Sarah Weaver on uh, as well, and it really, really interesting conversations. How do you source mid-term rental customers? So, like, an insurance claim. What does so that the, look like? The insurance claim people have found us, um, but we set our uh, Airbnb minimum to 30 days, and that's to target um, midterm rental people, but it's also because it gets around the short-term rental, uh, blocks in most cities. So if you have 30 day mm -hmm. midterm rental, you can still make very close to short-term rental rates. Um, 
with so much less effort. And so I would have gone midterm rail just because I could get one started and then focus on the next thing and not have to worry about um, ongoing management and ongoing turnover. That's really interesting. So it's it's come through Airbnb, right? Midterm yeah, so, yeah Airbnb. Got it. So you haven't explored the engaging insurance companies or nursing. That's what um, we're agencies. doing now. Um, we have reached out to, so there's Furnish Finder, which is specifically for traveling professionals. Um, we haven't had a great experience with that or VRBO. They're fine, but they're not good enough or provide enough value to have multiple platforms. So for us, it's easier to just have Airbnb and direct bookings. And so part of our focus this year is going direct to these medium term people um direct to corporations direct to insurance companies we're going to start with the chamber of commerce and see who's doing the most insurance business or whatever and start with there and then we're going to go back to the people who have stayed with us before because of insurance reasons or because they're in town for work and seeing what who they're the person responsible for hiring them or for paying that out is and we're going to um try to develop those direct relationships that's amazing. Um, so one of my questions was, which would you pick? I guess the other the other angle would be, if someone's starting out today, and in the current market, and is interested in either short term or mid term, what would you start by doing? Would the, would it be the education piece, trying to network, waiting out the market? What what would your first steps be? Um, kind of a bunch of things. So definitely, uh, getting an education and figuring out what it's going to cost to run either a short term or midterm rental in your market or what kind of properties can be available. The, the main thing though, is taking a inventory of what you are good at. So, so many people have no idea what they're good at. They think they're good at something, but they're not really good at that thing. Um, and things that they don't think they're good at, they are good at. And so it's just all, it's always going to create a mismatch between, uh, the jobs they think they're good at and what they're actually doing. So they're perpetually unhappy because they're not understanding that's not what they're good at. And so really, um, it depends on what your skill set is. So if my, if our skill set wasn't being hospitable or figuring out what people needed, I would we would have gone a completely different strategy. Like wholesaling might be better for somebody else. Uh, but if you don't like talking to people, it could be just purely lead generation and uh, finding deals for people who need leads. There's so many things you can do that take advantage of different skill sets. It, it, it really starts with what are you good at? That's a great answer. I, th I don't think we've had that answer, right, Kyle? Kyle, what are you good at? <laughs> what am I? Oh, geez, man. We're not interviewing me, are we? Well, the idea is everybody has a superpower. <laughs> what is your superpower? Yeah, oh, what's your no. and then And then we'll do TJ's. Oh, man. You know, I, I think probably deal analyzation, I think, would be my superpower. That That I can do. Uh, I would say underwriting is probably my weakness. Like I can do it and I, I do it. I just don't really care to do it. So yeah. What about you, TJ? John, you're next, by the way. We'll go John first. Oh, I don't think I have one. <laughs> no superpower? No, I don't feel confident enough to... Uh... Other than the accent? <laughs> the accent and the vision. I, I'm quite good at big picture vision stuff um, and, and communicating that. So I'm, I'm pretty good at presenting, talking to people um writing stuff like that which is there's a place for that in real estate hosting a podcast for instance <laughs> um i think my superpower is setting aside all assumptions so people um have a really difficult time doing that and it limits their ability to create uh creative solutions and uh to problems but i i can literally say well 
how do we do real estate if there were no gravity or I had no money or whatever? And you just set those as your design parameters and then everything else is super flexible. So, um, and then, but my inner, my inner brain doesn't fight me. It's like, Hey, gravity, gravity always points down or whatever. And some people do not do that. Like you tell them an assumption that is clearly not true just as a thought exercise and their brain implodes. Like, wait, I, I can't, I can't assume that that's not, that's not how the world works. But no, we're, we're pretending it does so that we can go down this road and see what solutions we would come up with if that were the case. <laughs> so um, I, I really like that, TJ. That's awesome. I'm going to try that. I like the uh, framing and, and things like that. Really interesting. But actually, the, the assumption piece, that's really interesting. Also, for just in terms of like getting along with people, like try to, to empathize with people. So just I like to do what if everything I'm saying is absolutely wrong and everything you're saying is absolutely right. And, and that was completely proven to me. How would I react right now in this moment? <laughs> and then, you know, I pretend I'm like, Hmm, you know, I kind of like how this feels or I do not like how this feels. And then you adjust, you know, you, you can adjust the way you act or beca because of that. Uh, but it just, it, it, let, it opens your mind to other people, what other people are experiencing. It helps you get to those win-win situations when you're like, when you're, when you're, when you stop thinking right versus wrong and different perspective, versus different perspective no i like that a lot i think that's that's good food for thought and it, for anyone getting started that's that's great advice you know just just play around and think things through like that and, and reframe and make your own assumptions and change things up tj how can people get in touch with you uh you can find me on socials at auburn ninja uh, a-u-b-u-r-n-n-i-n-j-a um i've been trying to uh, add a lot more real estate stuff. Uh, that's one thing that's been in my mastermind group. We've been doing all this stuff in real estate for three years, but not many people know that. And so lately I've been trying to uh, show what I'm doing on social media and let people know that I can help them out of certain situations or help them think through things um, and solve creative issues. Amazing. Great, well thank you so much, TJ. We really appreciate your time today. I appreciate you having me, it's been so much fun. Awesome. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.